remontada uh, happened. How crazy did you describe to the listeners your experience of watching that Marcus Rashford penalty from from the moment at which the VAR decision started happening? Well, I thought that uh, since United bossed the XG, Ollie should really like quit and not bother doing it anymore. So, you know, um, I bounced around my living room uh, screaming at the top of my head. Uh, and uh, try to stop myself crying with emotion. <laughs> <laughs> I don't do crying, uh, but yeah, there was a lot. There was a lot of uh, screaming and jumping around, and uh, I had um, I had uh, a stream on, not uh, BT Sport, uh, which you know um, from a uh, dubious source. So I think I was about thirty seconds behind actual plays so I had hidden all my devices <laughs> under things so I could not be told what was actually happening uh, what about you I, I think if I'd been watching that on a stream I wouldn't have been able to handle waiting I think I would have I would have wanted to know what had happened rather than um watch it so yeah when um I when Delo had the ball and he went for that shot I thought it had spiraled out for a corner so I literally legged it to the loo in my house it was like so busting and then came back and they weren't just lining up to take a corner or just had taken a corner or whatever that ref was looking at the telly and I was like what what's happened what's that no that's not true I didn't go that I didn't go that far I wouldn't have gone that far in fact it's the opposite I went to get a bottle of water that's in fact what happened so it was much quicker than that and I came back in and I saw the replay and I was like, they are definitely going to give a pen for that. Like, yeah. um, not that I think it is definitely a penalty, although... Well, it is. Okay. Well, that, that's there's loads and loads and loads and loads and loads and loads of people who wouldn't think it was, although like I did think it was. But one thing that was for sure is it looked exactly like it was definitely going to be given because once you see that in slow motion, his arms block the trajectory of the shot and it's slightly, I don't know if you can say it's, anyway, whatever. You knew it was going to be given and when it was given, I went mad. And then, of course, there was all that build up and I, <laughs> I've got a chair in the middle of my room and I was like kneeling behind the chair, peeking over the top of it to watch a penalty. Just like you, like I think so many people, you know, you said you had to stop yourself from crying. I think there was this collective... I mean, it was incredibly emotional. I know several people who've expressed that they got emotional watching that, and uh, we can have a little bit of conversation about why that was. But what did you think of the game more generally? Yeah, I mean, it was... Uh, it, there was a lot of tension on it once it became apparent United were in it which, of course, was one minute and 34 seconds into the game. And so that changed the dynamic from feeling like there wasn't much of a chance. Uh And it would be great if we got away from Paris not being battered to actually being in this thing. So it changed the emotions of the uh, of experiencing the game completely. And and as for a game, yeah, look, I thought it was was pretty good. And, And perhaps the pattern was exactly as we'd expected. You know, Paris Saint-Germain had a lot of possession uh, and especially in that first half and United were trying to catch on the break. Actually, after the second half, I don't think Paris Saint-Germain was superior to United at all. I mean, Fred and uh, McTominay grew into that game significantly uh, and and United became um, equals 
and we're trying to push towards the end, you know, hence delay striding up to take a shot. Uh, and then just briefly on the penalty, because of course, they, you know, like holes, everyone's got an opinion about a VAR penalty. Um, for the, this one, I mean, uh, I knew it'd be a penalty as soon as as soon as uh, we saw the slow motion because that one's given every single time in Europe. It might not be in the UK, but I think it's, this is going to get equalised around um, the world now that the IFAB has, has uh, announced some new uh, descriptions of what is handball. Now, they actually really apply to attacking situations, I think, uh, but I think everyone's going to just apply the common sense rule, which is the way that IFAB put it, which is basically unless you are in a position which looks like a normal human standing up, it's going to be given as handball. Um, so natural silhouette, they call it. Uh, and jumping up and turning your back and your arm waving somewhere around your side is not a natural silhouette. So, no. Um, and that, this one's given in Europe every single time. So um, it's uh, it wasn't much of a shocker to me at all. Um, and, and, of course, look, there was a pretty sweet irony in this in, in that uh, the player who handled it, elbowed it, uh, Kim Pembrey, uh, should have been sent off in the first leg. And- uh, so I don't care whether that shot was going about 30 yards high of goal. <laughs> Um, yeah, he, he kind of got some just desserts there, I think. Yeah, because, of course, he scored immediately after he should have been sent off in that first leg. Um, I I thought the game was fascinating. And never mind the result, um, the nature of the way the game unfolded is yet more evidence in the pros column for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. So at first, it was kind of hard to work out what the formation was going to be. It looked like a back three. Um, and then it became clear that they were playing a kind of hybrid four four two five three two in and out of possession, and it also became clear that Eric Bay could not do this. This was he was playing absolutely terribly. Now he went off with an injury. Um, I would like to think it didn't take Solskjaer long to be like, ah, oh no, oh what a shame! I have to take him off with that, and he could do it in a way that didn't humiliate him. And the game completely changed because obviously we scored that own opening goal, um, and it, for me, in a lot of ways, this was a game defined by mistakes. So PSG make a massive, yeah, of course. certainly, yeah, yeah, they make a massive mistake, and and then, um, you know, that the goal comes from the kind of their goal comes from our confusion. Solskjaer rectifies this, changes the system. And at that point, United didn't make another mistake the whole game, except for David De Gea punching the ball instead of catching it when we were 3-1 oh, up. God. I'm like, I, I mean, like uh, um, 95% of Manchester and millions of other people around the world, uh, I was ripping my hair out of that. <laughs> Dave, what are you doing? That's the easiest catch in the world. It's, anyway. Especially given... Um, Pressure. At the time, I kind of thought there was a lot less time in stoppage time left than there actually was because I hadn't factored in that he's going to add on eight minutes or whatever it was for VAR, for the VAR decision. Um, So I thought this was like almost literally he could have just caught it and that would have been the last act of the game, Um, which would have been even worse, uh, but it was still absolutely shocking. One of, uh, I think, either two or three massive mistakes uh, he's made in his last three games, incidentally. Um, Yeah, yeah, I mean, Gary Neville had a go at... uh... Dave after the game at the weekend uh, I'm not well we can come to Arsenal in a bit uh, I don't want to get a downer on us talking about PSG but you know we talked about Dave earlier in the season didn't we saying that perhaps you know potentially his focus had gone 
um, given the speculation about his contract and it's more than a year in negotiations and um, who knows whether that's true. But a, f- a few more mistakes this season than perhaps we are used to. Yeah, and... Um, so he's still the best keeper in, in the world, by the way, even with a few of those mistakes. Yeah, um, yeah. It's been really bad. But and he did make one very good save, um, which was the moment where I started to really hashtag believe. Because, so the first Lukaku goal goes in and it's like, oh my goodness, this is on. Then we're a shambles at the back. PSG are completely all over us. They score and you think, right, well, that's it, done. But Solskjaer makes the switch. um, And then Buffon makes by far the biggest goalkeeping error of this game and spills this. Because I I don't know about you, you said 95% of Manchester and people all around the world. I'm sure many of those of us in that position uh, were screaming at Marcus Rashford not to shoot um, in the moment where he shot uh, at at goal and um, Buffon spilled it and Lukaku snaffled it up. and, And that was six in three for Lukaku at that point. Two absolutely massive goals. I mean, all th- all six of those goals really important. Um, this one particularly massive. We're back in it at this point, and and both the PSG goal, like the goals that PSG have conceded, have come from big mistakes that they've made. And we didn't make another mistake. Like the the save that Smalling made, um, that De Gea made from Mbappe when he was through one on one, and he was kind of scrambling, and then Smalling put in that challenge. That mm-hmm. that was the moment where I thought, oh my god, we're going to do this because we've seen this story so many times. They they that goal, the fact that we stopped Mbappe in that moment was absolutely crucial. That was the th- where the the whole game kind of swung for me. Yeah, and Mbappe took quite a lot of criticism after the game. The uh, what was he called? The uh, the the uh, fromage at Bonglehore. The baguette Mark Albrighton. <laughs> it just, yeah, or well, he didn't have his best game by any means. No. And, and there were a couple of occasions when, or oh, one occasion, really shocking occasion, where uh, he had a chance to, if not break through, uh, certainly get into a dangerous position on the left. And he sort of miscontrolled it 10 yards ahead of him. Yeah. Out of play. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, off form. Um, yeah, Dave made that great save. He made uh, another one from uh, Angel Di Maria, didn't he, in the first half? Was that in the second half? Um, there was a late shot that hit the post. But it's not like, for all their possession, Paris Saint-Germain created an awful lot of chances. I mean, no. after United sorted out the mess... Yep. Um, first Young slotted into right back and Dallow went ahead and then they moved to three at the back. United were extremely solid defensively. Yeah. Yeah. Once um, again, another another time we can say that under Solskjaer. And, you know, I, I, we have to talk about the young, inexperienced players in this game. We have to talk about the midfield. The midfield of Fred Pereira and McTominay. You mentioned Fred and McTominay growing into this game as it went on. I mean, you know, that, that starting eleven just looked so cobbled together and desperate. And the fact that that was our midfield, it made it just seem completely impossible. Then by the end of the game, uh, Greenwood and Chong are both on the pitch because Solskjaer's just a legend. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, con- contrasting uh, 
performances, really. Green, Greenwood barely touched the ball. Chong touched it a lot, but it was bouncing off his shins, wasn't it? He looked a bit nervous. Um, and neither were able to make a really significant contribution. But maybe just being up there um, and the fact that United threw so many players forward at the end, you know, in a, this sort of Fergusonian style of just going for it, contributed to Dallow being up there to the space opening up and the, the shot he took that got the penalty. Yeah. I mean, PSG should be thoroughly ashamed of themselves. They should be They should be just hanging their heads in disgrace after that. What, what, what the, the fact they lost to United or their childish antics? Uh, yeah, <laughs> Neymar, what, what, what did he post? And uh, never ever something f word something 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 uh, and yeah, um, uh, all crashing to the pitch. Uh, Tuchel uh, compared United to Nimes, was it? Or you know, one of the smaller French clubs, um, which was interesting. Like as if he's never played against a team that is able to like um, uh, play without the ball and then attack. Did you? I mean, did- Ollie's done this against every single side. Uh, top side we've played so far. So against Spurs, Chelsea, Arsenal in the cup game um, didn't quite work out in Arsenal in the Premier League game. Paris Saint-Germain having sort of 30, 35% possession and and breaking effectively. He's out Mourinho, Mourinho. (laughs) He has, but there's there's actual endeavour, isn't there? That's the difference, I guess. Um, uh, Did you see the lovely tweet from Cesc Fabregas, by the way? It was just a really nice... I can't remember who it was a reply to. It was some, some... player that had been very critical of United's um, set-up. And Cesc Fabregas replied, like, there's a bunch of kids. What do you expect them to do? Like, they were heavily outgunned. They had 10 senior players injured, although we should point out that that includes Matteo Damian, so we probably shouldn't be using the number 10. But there was at least five players that wouldn't have been in that starting eleven, and that is a massive percentage of a starting eleven, almost 50%, in fact. Well, that's right, and and all the uh, players who would have made the bench and made for a stronger squad, and the fact that it's for Solskjaer and uh, playing both with roles and systems, and you know, it's it's a massive disadvantage. And of course, PSG had the the disadvantage of not having Neymar uh, and Neymar's uh, you know, spectacular propensity for falling over, um, and I guess they missed that desperately too. Uh, they probably also missed his spectacular ability, um, but yeah, the, the 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 difference in weight between them not having Neymar and not us not having you know Lingard, what Pogba in that second leg also, and Lingard, Martial, Mata, Herrera, you know, it's it's, it's Matic even, it's, it's crazy. Um, you mentioned the emotion of it. I mean, we need to. I don't really know what to say except for like a bunch of appreciative noises and a general sense of awe at Marcus Rashford's composure for that penalty. I mean, that's that's absolutely... He was the most composed person in the stadium, I thought. And they... Yeah, they, there's one moment where PSG players were trying to get around the penalty spot and get in his face... Uh, and argue with the referee and they're encroaching into the penalty area where he sort of turns and sort of waves his hand. I was like, uh-oh, don't let it get you. Don't let it get you. And then and then he takes that sort of stuttery run-up as well. And I'm like, Urgh! But then he absolutely nailed it. Yeah, top corner blasted side foot against Gigi Buffon. That's 
pretty impressive uh, under those circumstances. The uh, When PSG players were crowding around the box, further reason that it was kind of unpleasant to watch them and delight that it was easy to have a lot of schadenfreude about them going out, uh, Fred comes steaming in. It's like, get out of his face. It was good. It was good. And a really good performance from Fred all round. Um, possibly one of the only times we could say that uh, in his United career so far. But what a time, what a time to do it. True. And, and McTominay alongside him. Yeah, fantastic. As as the game wore on, he he became, became more and more influential, but more progressive with his passing as well. He was passing it forward. Absolutely. Which, you know, it's nosebleed territory for McTominay normally, <laughs> but uh, maybe he'll learn something from that. And it was obviously about confidence because uh, against uh, really high-quality players, he was able to uh, put in a significant performance. So why do you think this game was so emotional for so many people? Well, look, it's been years and years and years. We spoke about it, didn't we, on the previous pod a couple, few weeks back when United lost to PSG in the first leg. It's been years and years since United had a big European night like this. Mm. And there have been very few nights or days in the five years, six years nearly, since Ferguson retired that um, that games have really mattered, really meant something. I mean, how how many, like, even coming second last season... It's not as if this wasn't City winning the title by miles and miles. No. No one ever believed that United were making a title challenge. Uh, the Europa League was great fun, but it doesn't hold the prestige of the European Cup at all. I mean, you know, winning that game against Paris Saint-Germain was a bigger victory than winning the Europa League final, even though it's a final and a trophy and one of the three, et cetera, and so on. Um, so, yeah, there have just been so few games like this in the last five years that all that sort of pent-up emotion has uh, it was released when, when Rashford hit the back of the net. And it was just... I mean, I guess the only... For me, the only one that mattered anything like as much as this was the FA Cup run under Van Gaal. Um, that felt really special because obviously, like Rooney and Carrick had yeah. the whole set, and not that, you know. Wow, that was yeah. They were, no, no, that, that totally was special. That, yeah. But but this was this was just absolutely, and uh, you know, I was thinking about I was thinking about like oh, I forgot how good the Champions League is. <laughs> like forgot how big the Champions League feels. You know, it just feels so special, and and the fact that the the sheer depth of unitedness in the like that Solskjaer being the manager, him having rescued us from Mourinho, the kids all on the pitch, the fact that it's Rashford that scores the winner, the fact that everyone wrote us off, the, the, just the last minuteness. I mean, it was just distilled like a parody of unitedness. In this and and yeah, I like you know that we only got the podcast out just before the show, just before the game, um, because Tom was busy with work stuff, sadly, um, and so loads of people were like, "Oh well, this is not very well timed, is it?" And you can hear both of us, but I definitely was very dismissive of any chance whatsoever. So to see it unfold like that, it was just it it really you know I don't care how cliched and ridiculous it sounded. We've got our club back, like, or at least we've got our team back. The club's still going to be the club, but the relationship between the fans and the players, the the, the relationship between 
the way we feel when we watch United again, the connection between the manager and the supporters and the manager and the players. The fact that, by the way, we're complaining about the uh, you scouse what's-its being put in the chant. And I did a massive discredit to the United fans because I said they're gonna, that'll be staying forever now. Already gone, replaced with M-U-F-C, which is way, way, way better and more appropriate for what's going on right now. So, yeah, mm. incredible, in- an incredible night. It, it was, uh, and the cynic in me says that uh, Edward would have, will have seen this, the reaction of the fans, and uh, if for nothing else other than this uh, papers over the Glazer ownership cracks, uh, he, he'll uh, appoint Ollie. He was already going to appoint Ollie. That's, 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 that's not cynicism, Ed, that's silly-cism. <laughs> you, you wait till he turns around and appoints Roberto Mancini. Yeah, it could happen. Um, the uh, the one of the things that made it so special. Uh, this is the first one really of these that we've experienced in the age of social media. Uh, a mixed blessing at best, but the beauty of it in this particular instance was because half the squad were injured, we got to watch them watch it. And uh, I thought a number of things were noteworthy about that. I'm sure absolutely everyone has seen this. There was the Alexis celebration, the Matic celebration. The two that were particularly noteworthy was the Lingard celebration, which was unsurprisingly euphoric and exuberant. Um, But there was a lovely moment where he was watching it and kind of pointing at his TV and tapping on his TV saying, love you, love you, at Marcus Rashford. And he goes, when Rashford's about to take the run up, he goes, beans, whatever happens, love you. It was very moving. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, Uh, very very different styles of uh, celebration from the United players watching on TV. Uh, Alexis with a few friends and his dogs. Yep. Didn't get that excited. Anthony Martial, um, you know, very serial killer-ish but in the, his celebration. I wanted to talk about that, though. I wanted to talk about that specifically. And um, I wrote an article for You Max It. This is so long ago, it was still called You Max It then. Um, oh, I've got something I want to plug, actually, on uh, the TFO Football YouTube channel, which is what You Max It's turned into. I've written a video about Eric Cantona's career in France before he came to England, so check that out. Um, but anyway... I wrote an article for you, Max, a long time ago saying that the criticism of Anthony Martial's body language as being someone who doesn't care is absolutely ridiculous. And what it is, is this is a man, this is how he keeps his emotions in check. And we all saw what happens when his emotions are not in check. That's that's how much he cares, really and truly. Oh, I'm, I'm not saying he doesn't care at all. Oh, he's no, he's no. just an intense man. Yeah, no, I mean, other people, many people have said, you know, this kind of surly body language on the pitch and the fact that he's not smiling and stuff. No, it's just, that's who he is. Like you say, he's super intense. And we saw him absolutely explode and pointing at his head and shouting, Look at him! Look at him! <laughs> Which <laughs> means character. <laughs> Incredible, absolutely incredible. And just, I think all of us collectively were kind of emotionally drained after that. Unfortunately, probably so. So, uh, which one of uh, Liverpool or Manchester City do we draw in the quarterfinals then? (laughs) Um, Are Liverpool going to be in it? No, maybe not. They've got to go. Maybe not. Big, big game against Bayern this week. Bayern have kind of hit form again, haven't they? And maybe you'll all know what's happened by this point, and this will sound ridiculous, but I can't imagine Liverpool are favourites for yeah, that game. They're back on top of the 
Bundesliga after the weekend's victory. And yeah, they've definitely hit form again. It's going to be a super tough game for Liverpool. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, of course, I don't know that being out of the Champions League uh, is necessarily good. Do we want them to be tired so they don't win the league? Do we care? <laughs> I don't care. I just want us to win the Champions League now, which... Yeah, no, so do I. So if Liverpool do win the league, at least we can eclipse them. <laughs> oh, God, that, that would drive Scouse as mental, wouldn't it? The, um, what, I mean, we have to have a conversation about this. This is not ridiculous at this point. There's eight, well, there's going to be eight teams left in it. I mean, yeah, we just said Bayern are hitting form again. Barcelona are obviously, like, having a decent season and, and there will be absolutely, like, obviously incredibly dangerous opposition. Ajax did it did an absolute madness against the calamitous Real Madrid, but they look like a... They did, with Daily Blint in the centre of defence. Yeah, they look much better than they did a couple of seasons ago because all their players have got a couple of years older and they've got the brilliant Daily Blint in their side. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't think it's that. Actually, I mean, it's interesting, just a little digression, Ajax. Uh, this is not 11, 19-year-olds. You know they've they've brought in some players to wrap around the younger players. Yeah. So daily daily Blint and uh, Tadic, who is outstanding at the Bernabeu, um, and a couple of other players to add some experience to to that sort of you know depth uh, youngsters and you know, strengthening depth in terms of the youngsters. Um, and and they were outstanding. They were outstanding in Madrid. And and without. Frankie de Jong, who's a really big star heading off to Barcelona in the summer, being brilliant. I mean, he was very good in the first oh, half, but not good. so good in the second he half. He was good. He was, <laughs> he was good in that game. No, no, not as good as he can be, you know. And, uh, I mean, but but um, I mentioned Matthias Delight on our uh, bonus transfer uh, special a couple of weeks ago uh, as being a, you know, a really good player, and he was ex- excellent in defence. And, and just a whole bunch of them, you know, Tadic, who... Um, didn't end his time at a very bad Southampton side very well, did he? But uh, showing the sort of uh, talent he's got. He, he always put up really good numbers as a creative player, but didn't always um, lock that to good performances. But I guess he can. he's showing what he can do in a in a good side. Uh, and Neves, who like everyone knows about now, obviously. Um, but, um, you know, a really, really good, exciting forward. He scores a lot of goals. Uh, very good up front too. Yeah. So um, I think they would be scary to draw, um, but there's a lot of... They would, but there's other teams that are even scarier, I'd say. Do you think so? I, I'd say I'd be more scared of Barcelona. I think that's probably the only team I'd be more scared of. Uh, then Ajax. I think so. After seeing what they did in that game against Real Madrid. Juve. Um, City, yeah, okay. But, yeah, no, we can, we can do City. We're, we're united again now, so they might be, like, by the law of transitive properties, might end up being City again. I wonder how Pep Guardiola's away record in Europe would be affected by playing the game in the same city, because they are bad away. Anyway, we'll, we'll talk about that when the draw comes and all that stuff. We'll, we'll do more Champions League chat as the season progresses, because we can do more Champions League chat as the season progresses. The key question... And, and the really good thing is that David Moyes is no longer the last Manchester United manager to... Playing a quarterfinal <laughs> of the Champions League. That is good. That is very good news. Um, the uh, oh, you, I just I just had a a beautiful segue that was slightly. We could still make this work. So um, 
we want to keep talking about the Champions League next season as well. And unfortunately, our top four hopes took a little bit of a knock um, in a game where I thought United played extremely badly for half an hour and then very well for all the rest of it, but to no avail. That's right. Might have to win the Champions League to get in it. So yeah, um, I mean, what do you, what do you, what, what's your overall assessment of the Arsenal defeat? Um, because I, I, I definitely saw some some social media angst about it, and a few people tweeted me um, to say, you know, it was pretty poor, and there were a few takes I thought from fairly prominent uh, United fans, fairly negative. But I, I didn't have a negative assessment of this one at all. I mean, I think you're right. Um, half an hour of performance but an hour of very good performance and, and created loads of chances I mean I don't know you said we're going to talk about Dave later I thought that was absolutely shocking from De Gea are, are you going to say I'm wrong and actually it wasn't as bad as all that well I'm going to say I think it was a freak of a goal that, that thing's bent like a banana I mean he's he's hit right across it and I think Dave has been completely deceived um, and and yeah, you know, if you if you watch him, he takes one step to his left, yeah, and and he's done, yeah, uh, at that point, and and it just flies so low as well, you know. Obviously, it's a super long way out, so he's got time, um, and you'd expect you'd expect him in normal circumstances to save that, of course, but I don't think it's an absolute how low because it's gone right in the corner as well, so. I mean, no, I, I actually maybe, thought being beaten in the near post against uh, PSG the other week. Southam- was worse. Southampton? Southampton. Yeah. Sorry, Southampton. Yeah. Okay, interesting. Uh, the, to me, that one, that one felt more forgivable because of the amount of time that was lined up for the shot. But I guess once he's made... Basically, it looks like an absolute howler because he doesn't move after he's made the mistake really and the mistake is maybe not a howler maybe it's just a mistake that he takes that half step to the left when the ball's swerving the other way to his right um and once he's taken that half step then he's he's totally finished but it it did look like a brain freeze and you know this is probably completely irrelevant in the in the tunnel uh, when the players were lining up, I thought, my God, he looks tired. When I saw David Hair, like, had these deep bags under his eyes. And uh, I'm not surprised he's tired, given the emotion of the last few days. Um, but that was my first thought when I saw him. And then he made that mistake, which which looked like half a kind of slightly tired mistake to me. Um, but, yeah. Uh, generally speaking, I thought that the early part of the performance was um, actually the 4 4 that Solskjaer experimented with really did not work. I, I guess the logic is you're playing um, Arsenal attack down the left almost all the time. Like That's by far and away their biggest um, threat comes down that left-hand side. So he's playing Young and Delo over that side and he figures that Delo will support Young and then Pogba has got a lot of licence to roam from playing wide left, left midfield um, on the other side and they won't be as important defensively. But I just thought it just straight up didn't work, and they weren't able to stop Arsenal's threat down the left. No, and, and Delo wasn't able to push uh, uh, Kozelniak back 
um, in the way that I, I'm guessing that Ollie wanted him to. I, I mean, it was very, um, it was very, very unbalanced. I mean, we were talking on the WhatsApp group about what system it actually was, because although nominally that's four four two, Pogba's not off the left at all. I mean, he's not playing like a any kind of left winger, so he he's playing with a three in midfield and. Delo and Young are trying to contain the Arsenal left flank, and and Shaw's all on his own. Basically, it was it was a real mishmash of stuff, and um, at times it looked like uh, Young was then tucking in, playing quite narrow, and and then playing a three, so effectively a three five two. It wasn't really that either. So yeah, it, it was it was a mess, and it took United a bit of time to sort out what that actually was and how they were going to play, but not that long. You know, after that first sort of 20, 25 minutes, uh, I thought United began to impose themselves. And for all of all of that possession that Arsenal had, and they had a lot of possession in this game, they didn't create uh, that many good chances, really. I mean, the, you know, a freak, a bit of a freak opening goal. Uh, what else was there? I mean, a, a lot of shots, but not a lot on target, not a lot of saves for Dave to make. Um, much, much like the FA Cup game, this you know, except this one was lost uh, for United in in the details of a uh, you know a freaky goal slash mistake from our keeper and and a really really soft penalty and and a couple of really crucial misses uh, which weren't missed in other games. Yeah, and this this kind of um, Michael Cayley, the stats nerd, tweeted a regression to the mean. This is how statistics work when a team gets very un gets very lucky for a while, they then get very unlucky. This is called regression to the mean, which was, of course, a joke. But uh, this did feel like, kind of, the ball just wasn't bouncing for us. And in in Ole's amazing run, as amazing as it's been, we also have to say the ball has definitely been bouncing for us. You know, we've... (coughs) Excuse me. We've had the rub of the green. um, And we just didn't in this game. Just everything that kind of... Almost everything that could go wrong went wrong. But I didn't think we deserved to win the game, if you know what I mean. It didn't feel like we absolutely battered them from start to finish and didn't take our chances. Even if we did create more and better chances, I actually thought Arsenal sort of deserved to win because they were they were just much more clinical than we were. I mean, obviously, like it's an argument you can make in a lot of different ways, but to me, that that's mm. how it felt. Clinical in what sense, though? Because th- those two shots, those two goals, were there only two shots on goal? Um, they, they, I thought, yeah, sorry, clinical is probably the wrong word. Effective, I guess, is the word that I would use. Like, although United had some big chances, uh, would you say that there were any bad misses from United? Like, maybe that the first one where he hit the crossbar. Yeah, Lukaku from three yards out. Yeah, that, that's a, that one. That's a pretty bad miss. But the, yeah. but, but the other Lukaku chances, I thought like Leno did really well against him a number of times, actually. And I thought Arsenal generally defended quite well around the box. Basically, if we'd been Arsenal and the performance had, and we'd won that game 2-0, I wouldn't have be going, oh, blimey, we massively got away with one there because it, it didn't really feel like that to me. No, and and of course, you know, you remember it's the psychology of these things, isn't it? You you remember the high points or the highlights, wrong terminology, but yeah, the key the key points and what happened last, and I think that does uh, shape how we feel about it. But you know, again, to 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 my early point, really, I didn't come out of this thinking this was a bad United performance. No. We were one side footer in the ninth minute uh, away from being one 0 up in this game and controlling. 
um, the rest of the game and, and forcing Arsenal to open out, you know. And and uh, that was 0.58 XG, that Lukaku chance. You don't get too many chances that are 0.58. Honestly, it has to be on the goal line for it to be more than that. Um, this this is one he puts away all the time and, and given his form in recent weeks, you know, an absolute shocker. But he also had a, a really good chance in the second half just after the break as well, you know, which is saved by Lino on this occasion. Um, and so, like, just one of those things. United played okay, uh, and uh, the, it was the game plan. Sorted the, the mistake, the tactical problems out eventually, um, and then just didn't take chances. Whereas Arsenal took, you know, one long range chance and got a what I think was a really soft penalty. I mean, I, I don't don't think a shoulder to shoulder coming together should ever be given as a penalty. Um, and and clearly Moss has thought uh, that he tripped him. Interestingly enough, I mean, yeah, I think you're right about the penalty. I, I thought it was a trip in real time as well, and then when you see the replay, it, it doesn't really look like a, a trip, I guess. VAR, V-A-R, V-A-R. <laughs> we love you, VAR, we do. Um, once again, Luke Shaw was really good in this game, once again creating a load of key passes. The, do, do you know what? Perhaps it's because he's actually a good player. Yeah, the agenda, the agenda's cancelled, fully, fully cancelled. It, it, it was only ever very questionable. Marcus Rashford created some chances as well, was quite poor generally against both PSG and Arsenal, I would say. It just looks like he needs a rest so badly. Um, I thought Solskjaer made a mistake with the initial 4-4-2, partly because... I, I do think it kept Pogba out of the centre of the action a little bit too much, even though you sort of said he's he's come inside a lot. He has. He didn't put up the kind of numbers in terms of touches as he often does. Yeah. Um, I mean, if he didn't have to play Delo in this game because there basically weren't any other too many other options, he might have gone with a diamond. In fact, he probably he probably could have done. I guess he's seen uh, Delo's energy in recent games, and he has been really good. Yeah. Uh, and wanted wanted that in the side. Whereas perhaps playing McTominay and and playing with the diamond would have been a better option. Yeah, I kind of, I actually, it's bizarre to think that you should have played Scott McTominay, but did feel a bit like that. The um, Dallo, by the way, changed the game against PSG just like he'd done against Southampton. That's pretty impressive. Um, and and he, he, I mean, look, he looks like a really good player, and there's yeah. a there's a really solid argument for him just playing out the rest of the season at right back. I mean, obviously, he's been coming in at basically wing back or wide forward. In fact, he played the right side of the. A four three three against Southampton, didn't he? When he came on, yeah. Um, I don't know that that he might end up there. You know, I don't. I don't know what he's. Nah, nah. I don't know what he's lacking that he doesn't end up there. The 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 the, the kind of you know outlandish skills that you expect from a, a true forward, you know, and goals. So if he's going to play right side of a, a front three, he has to score fifteen to twenty goals a season. I don't think that's going to happen. Okay. Um, we'll, we'll we'll see where his career takes him. It's yeah, be I could be totally wrong. I, I think yeah. I'm pretty much uh, sure I, I said a similar thing about Gareth Bale when he was <laughs> 20 years old. So. Yeah, so we'll see if Dallo develops into the Portuguese Gareth Bale. It could happen. Um, certainly, he, la- he doesn't lack for drive or confidence and he's very skillful around the edge of the box and very good at... Um, seems to have pretty good decision-making about what he does with the ball once he gets close to the box as well. Um but yeah, uh, I thought that the four four two was a mistake. I also thought the substitution where he took Dallow off and brought Martial on was a small mistake. Uh, in my opinion, my very 
ill-informed opinion. I thought Rashford was done by that point in that game. Like, it's just He's looked exhausted since the Liverpool game. I get why you'd keep him on because he can do amazing things at the drop of a hat, but I actually thought the balance would have been better if he'd... This is the swap that Mourinho used to make all the time that wasn't always good under Mourinho, but it felt like actually bringing Martial on for Rashford and leaving Dalo on would have troubled them a little more. Yeah, maybe, maybe. But but listen, uh, Solskjaer changed that game and got United back on top. So once again, just just stuff in the in the Solskjaer pros column is completely overwhelming at this point. And anyway, as I think we said last week, this is not a debate anymore. This is Ali Solskjaer's job, and it's just they're just timing the announcement at this point. I'm sure. Uh, there was news in the week that he's no longer under contract to Mulder. His contract had, has expired, uh, which which runs counter to what we all thought was the truth, that United had paid a loan fee and that the, the, uh, the fee for buying that contract out was like €8 million Euros or something like that, or pounds or whatever, um, and that could be done, but uh, apparently not. Right, yeah, okay, well, then it's going to be even easier to give him the job. And, yeah, listen, it's obviously, obviously going to happen. And I, for one, welcome with open arms our new delightful Norwegian overlord. (laughs) Very good. Um, All right, so uh, anything else uh, before we move on to a special interview you've got and uh, listener questions? I'm absolutely delighted at this point to say that I was able to talk to a good friend of mine from my days covering United um, in the press box, one of the people. It was very nice to me um, when we uh, when I was covering games uh, for Bleacher Report. Um, Goal.com's Manchester United correspondent, Chris Folks. So I'm absolutely <laughs> delighted to be joined by Goal.com's Manchester United correspondent. Is that is that the right title, Chris? Yeah, exactly right. Fantastic. So, um, uh, first of all, having spent a lot of time with you during the literal worst part of the last 50 years of Manchester United, um, I guess it was marginally worse when they got relegated. Let's say the last 40 years of Manchester United. Um, how How's it been to start covering the team when they've started playing well? Um, it's a massive breath of fresh air, I have to say. Like, this is my fourth, fourth season in the gig and this is this is what it must have been like following Man United around when, when they were good and winning things because <laughs> it's really refreshing and <clears throat> there's a real definite buzz about the place and, and it transfers to everybody and uh, just the, the, the journos who are complete neutrals are loving it um albeit Solskjaer doesn't necessarily come up with the quotes that Mourinho used to or Van Gaal used to but you know it's a small price to pay yeah to watch football that doesn't make you want to take your eyes out so you've got some so you don't have to watch it anymore exactly a Saturday or Sunday afternoon or Monday night or whatever it tends to be these days um is actually worth looking forward to um which you know as well as anybody um wasn't necessarily the case under under Mr. Van Hal and Mr. Mourinho. I remember the um I was on your post-match stream after um the 3-1 win against Bournemouth in Mourinho's first game, Slatan's first game for United. And all that it was like a sunny day by the seaside 
And in the second half in particular, United played really well. And I think there was an awful lot of optimism around. Um, this seems like a strange question in retrospect, but did you see it going that wrong that quickly? Uh, probably not that quickly. Uh, certainly not. You know, that first season, um, I didn't see them finishing that low. I thought City would be better that season as well, though. I, I was one of those who had City and United pinned for the top two the yeah. season before it actually happened last year. Um, I thought the impact would be far uh, far more obvious on the league table than it, than it turned out. Um, obviously, Mourinho won three titles, though, that year. So it was a great <laughs> first season. It really wasn't. That, that optimism at Bournemouth, I think, lasted... Um, what two more weeks uh, following the following home win against Southampton, then away to Hull City, and then it fell apart in a week, didn't it? So I think it was never quite the same just after those first few games. Um, but yeah, I, I didn't see that coming quite the way that it did. And even when they did finish second, it was so far behind City, it barely mattered. And we just never saw what we expected would be the guarantee with Mourinho, like a proper title challenge. Yeah. So um, I, I stopped going to press conferences before the Mourinho thing started to get really bad. What was the atmosphere like in the last couple of months of covering covering him and going to those press conferences? Um, it was pretty toxic. Um, <clears throat> not unsurprisingly, obviously, it's uh, it's Jose, and it was it was one of them things where it almost felt futile asking a question because Mourinho knew what he wanted to say before he walked in the room. Um, he's always been that way. He always will be that way. And, you know, from, from the moment he walked in after the severe defeat and said, well, this is nothing new for this club. Whenever <laughs> I've been here, you know, they've been out at this stage. You know, I, I've never known Twitter to blow up as a, as a Man United correspondent like it did as soon as that tweet was posted, uh, that yeah. quote. Um, and it never quite felt like he kind of got any semblance of control after that. Um, it always felt like downhill from there. And, and certainly in the press conferences, there was just an air of unease. And that came from more, more than just the press conferences as well. Whenever, whenever I was at Carrington, um, there was an, an edge about everything. Um, uh, people were always on edge, people not quite wanting to, um, the, the smiles weren't there or anything. And, you know, it's, it's been the obvious thing to say since Ollie came in that, oh, he's brought the smile back. But my God, how the place needed it because it really had got to the point where people were almost walking around like zombies around Carrington whenever I went there. So um, that that's a nice transition. What's the atmosphere like now? It's summer. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> You know, that, like just, you know, walking in the reception, there's just a bit more of a glow about everyone and everything. Um, and it's not just because they're winning games. Um, I, I think it's so easy to say that just the way that Solskjaer comes across, the way that this is Man United is the answer to pretty much every question. Yeah. There is a Man Unitedness about it all. Um, you know, you know, they're not, it's not necessarily like when Carrington was built 20 years ago, it was by far and away the most glittering training complex there, there was. Now, obviously, 20 years on, other clubs have tried to emulate that and like some of them perhaps um, gone beyond that. Um, but 
it still feels like now now you're going into the kind of football mecca almost when you're turning up at Carrington. Um, there's just a very different uh, um, air about the place completely. Um, not like, as I say, not just from Ollie, but I think it started with him and and. Um, because he's just tapped into what was already there, what what was kind of um, there six years ago when when Sir Alex left and and just hadn't been nurtured in the right way in the in the past five and a half. Um, I think it it that's how he's helped to transform it so quickly. It's just that the the um, the unitedness was there. It was just it just wasn't being tapped into at all, and now it is. So it's really interesting to hear you say that because obviously, like you follow United as a neutral, I'm, I'm sure it's uh, easier and more fun to follow United when they're doing well. Although I guess you could argue in some ways, you know, the the sheer newsworthiness of it is a bit less or or will will wear off if it continues. But it's really interesting to hear you talk about the kind of Man Unitedness of it all. Does that feel like as somebody who could be completely forgiven for being cynical about that? Does it does that feel authentic to you? Oh, completely. Yeah. Like I, you know, I, when I took the role in, in 2015 as, as United correspondent, um, you know, like I, I was living down in London at the time. I'd like, I'd planned to move to the North and to the Manchester area. So it kind of fitted in, but there was no way I was going to turn down the United gig, even if it meant doing it from distance for a start, because it's Man United. It's supposed to be special. It's supposed to be a bit different. Yeah. Um, there will always be news around United one in some way, shape or form just because they're Man United. Um, but, you know, for the vast majority of the time that I've been United correspondent, it hasn't felt that special. Um, yeah. I wrote that, uh, it was a couple of years ago now, I think, that um, that basically said, look, if if United aren't doing the United things that make them United, then what are they? You know, the people walking about on the streets of Macclesfield wearing Man United, uh, wearing Man United shirts, might as well just be Macclesfield fans if they're the identity of the club has been lost then you know what is it and yeah. it actually got a few people's backs up in Macclesfield the Macclesfield town fans um <laughs> you know the, the the reasoning behind that was just that you know if United aren't United what are they and you know that was a big question hanging over the whole Mourinho reign because you know we knew the football would be rubbish but it was supposed to come with the benefit of he was the guarantee of success um but he couldn't bring either and so there was just nothing about United in terms of an appeal from it for a neutral for two and a half years. And now, now that it's happening and now that you feel it, and when you walk in the place, you see what's special about Man United. Uh, it's lovely to hear, because to, obviously, like, I mean, it won't surprise you to know that I've been completely swept up by it, emotion, very, from a purely emotional perspective. But um, the... What what have you made of the changes on the pitch? Do you um so one of the things that super impressed me about Solskjaer is how how much we've seen really smart decisions on the pitch. What have you made of of all that? Have you been impressed by it, surprised by it, or 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 for you is it more like oh he's not actually done that much on the pitch? It's mostly just the off field stuff. No, I've been blown away. I have to say, he's massively surprised me. Um, I thought when he first got the job, I thought he was basically filling in until Pochettino would free himself from Tottenham. Um, yeah. I, I thought Pochettino, I, I actually wrote a couple of pieces before Mourinho got the job saying United should go for Pochettino. He's the right kind of guy. He 
wants to build a project somewhere and United's a perfect place to do it. Yeah. Um, I think that that boat, that ship sailed because Ole has been so good. Um, you know, in terms of the tactics, even look at Arsenal, um, despite the fact that they lost 2-0, he saw that they were getting overrun in the first 15 or 20 minutes. He switched it to a three at the back and United gained the control that they hadn't had in midfield. And, you know, they made opportunities from there that really they, they could have maybe should have won the game as a result. And that was all because he wasn't afraid to make in-game changes. And he's not been at all throughout his, his reign. And, and early on, he seemed to hit on a, a first 11 that, you know, he'd veer a little bit away from, make one or two changes, but not tinker with it too much. And I did wonder at the time, has he just found a first 11 and not a squad? And will he be found out when, you know, changes have to be made? But, you know, we all, want, we all know what happened in Paris and um, missing 10 players. Um, was it eight he was missing against Southampton and, and still got the win and, and managed to change the game there as well. And I think, you know, he, he immediately hit upon the need to um, get the best out of Paul Pogba and having Ander Herrera do a certain role on the right-hand side has freed up Pogba to do what he does. Um, coming from the left, obviously, having that freedom that he never had under Mourinho and just the way that United attack has been great, but it hasn't just been, oh, well, you know, we counter and to hell with the rest of it. I've been really, really impressed with the way that specifically, as I say, the, the in-game changes have been um, close to genius at times, just the, the way that he's tinkered with it. It's not been obvious um, stuff that he's done. It's not been huge stuff all the time. It's just been tiny things when it's need to be tiny and, and he's made big changes when he's needed to as well. He's He's got most things spot on so far. It's lovely It's lovely to hear that because that's definitely definitely what it seemed like from my perspective. So what mm. did you, talking of Paris, what did you make of La Remontada as it should <laughs> be known from now on? Um, I did say before kickoff that if United got one goal, I wanted to see how PSG would react. Yeah. And um, you know, United got so early that actually by the time the game kind of found its flow, United looked like they were going to get absolutely butchered down their right-hand side because of, yeah. you know, the, the, the whole Bay and Young thing, nobody seemed to quite know what they were supposed to be doing and it didn't do United any favours. But then after Bernard had scored, again, Solskjaer seemed to find, find a way to just kind of come up with a quick fix and when it was two on at half time, I went into the press lounge and was telling everyone who'd listen, United are favourites because for the the longer it stays at two one, the more PSG have got the original Romantada <laughs> uh, in their minds, and from there a chance would come. I've got to say, by the time it came to like eighty fifth minute or something, I thought well, it's probably chanced over because they hadn't. Um, made it a, a single attempt at a goal after Lukaku's second goal. I just thought, you know, the the, the time had come and gone, maybe. Yeah. But, you know, they got that bit of luck at the end. But um, as I say, it was always going to be a mental thing because as much as Thomas Tuchel said afterwards, you know, I wasn't here a couple of years ago. Um, Kerrer wasn't there a couple of years ago. He was trying to say, you know, we're not affected by this. The feeling around the ground was one of nervous nervousness because they'd seen it happen before. And, and you know, I, that's, I thought that would weigh in United's favour, but 
the way that they did it so dramatically at the end, you know, I don't think anyone could have really predicted. So um, talking of the kind of atmosphere around the stadium, uh, this is obviously, as has been widely observed, I guess, this is, but I almost don't think enough has been made of this. That this, One of the things that has changed really profoundly, and I've not been nearly as much this season, but it's really evident even watching on TV, that the connection between the United support and their team has completely transformed in the last couple of months. What, what have you made of all that? Yeah, it's a, it's a huge difference. I think, again, you know, it's, it's easy to say that starts with Solskjaer, but it really does. And, um, you know, even against Liverpool, the atmosphere against Liverpool is always going to be different. Um, and it was again this season. But it was different, different though, wasn't it? It wasn't. No, it wasn't the same different as it was last time. Exactly. I've I've never known it like that. Never. And the, and the, actually, the difference between Liverpool and then Southampton in the next home game was so massive that it just made you remember just how great it was against Liverpool. Yeah. Um, it did drop away against Southampton, it has to be said. Um, but you know that was partly the kind of knowledge of our team are struggling here, backs to the wall, three men off in the first half, one of them on one leg in the second and we really need to get behind the lads secondly it was Liverpool but thirdly it was the the feeling that you know there's something in this team now there's something that reflects us and reflects the club and reflects this unitedness that we haven't had and there was a lot of that in it as well and I think that's why it was such an amazing atmosphere and as you say it's not the only one um you know the the everyone's made a lot of the um Stone Roses song been um, used for Ole. Obviously, they used it for Jose towards the end of his um, his reign. But you know, the same as using Fred in it, it just fits. So <laughs> Jose got it. Um, but yeah, it's it's been taken to a whole new level with with Ole and and you know, th- there's there's very rarely those kind of lapses in games of like five ten minutes without some sort of chant that they used to be at Old Trafford. Um, <clears throat> you know, still quiet moments, but not kind of sustained periods of people just, you know, wandering off and thinking and doing other things, you know, nobody's going to, I'm sure, quite as much as they used to under under Louis and, and Jose before, Ollie. All right. Well, Chris, thank you very much for your time today. We're going to have to have you back on and I'm going to do a long interview about what it's like to be a Man United correspondent, what that job involves, because that's that's a fascinating conversation for me. And uh, um, we unfortunately don't have time to have it today, but if you're happy to come back, we'll do it another time. Sure, of course. No worries. Um, so where can the people find you? They can find me in the press box at most, most United games for a start. <laughs> I'm on uh, Twitter at Chris Vokes, Chris with a K. Um, I've also got a Facebook page, which uh, we basically is all, almost all, almost exclusively used for a prediction table now, which I don't know how that even started, but there you go. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, and uh, various other like Instagram and stuff. Again, same Chris Vokes uh, tag. All right, bro. Well, well, we'll put all those details in the show notes. And um, yeah, thank you very much for coming on the show, Chris. And also, um, thank you for being really nice to me when I didn't know anyone in the Old Trafford press press room. That was uh, it. Was very. It made it all a lot easier. Likewise, Paul. The only, <laughs> the only, the only other entertainment besides yourself was Louis talking about sex masochism and, <laughs> and players being horny. So you know. All right. Take care, Chris.
Thank you very much, Chris, for being on the show. That's much appreciated. And as I said at the end, time got the better of us, but we'll definitely have Chris back to grill him about what it's actually like and what what it actually involves to follow United around like that. But Chris, super, super positive about Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. And from someone who isn't a United fan, it's really nice to hear him being swept up by the sheer Unitedness of it all. So, Ed, Twitter questions. As usual, several, uh, and including complaints that we haven't uh, asked questions from various people. But uh, we, we get many, many, um, get a broad range of people asking us questions, but also a core group of people ask us questions every week. So we like to you know, mix it up now and again. I, I uh, plus, also, there's so many in my feed that I can't always get to them. I am... Um, I, uh, activated my Twitter account for one night only after the PSG game because I just didn't want... I just wanted to hang out with United fans and since I wasn't with them, I wanted to be with them virtually um, and it was absolutely delightful. Nobody... I had my account active for like 14 hours. Nobody called me the C word in that entire time. I thought that was kind of amazing, to be honest. Um, yeah, it was lovely. I tried to answer some Twitter questions there, actually, to catch up with some we'd missed. Richard Savile says, as we had experience of both last week, is it better to win games on expected goals or actual goals? <laughs> I prefer actual goals. Although Actual goals are pre- pretty good, aren't they? But look, I, I, I had a go at uh, the nerds last week, including a segment that Tom so cruelly edited out. I may have been fairly rude. Uh, I feel like I'm allowed to be rude because, you know, I do stats and, you know, I have a degree in economics and all that bollocks but um um i i do think the take sometimes could be made more human um and yeah in that you miss the story if you focus solely on the data and but data is there to help tell a story and sometimes it tells a very good one the the thing that people do that's first of all we won the xg against psg by the way we did in that second leg so that's that um so and arsenal uh, uh, yeah that but we knew that that's part of that's an inherent part of the question isn't it um but the thing is nobody who actually knows what xg is useful for thinks it's important for measuring the outcome of any one game right yeah no no fair enough um it, it's uh, it's a model stanley chow says does friend of show uh, does ollie put all his eggs in one basket and go all out for the champions league glory ella jose's style and sack off the top four in the fa cup there's no way ollie gonna solskjaer's no. doing that he's just not gonna do it he's too he's got too much fergie burning in his veins like he, he's gonna go for all of it and he's just gonna have to hope all his players are back and he can rotate the top four treble in it get the top four on the last day of the season win the fa cup then win the champions league yeah, we didn't really talk about it too much, the, what, what the situation now is in the league and the table after Arsenal won. Arsenal two points ahead of us. We're, a, what, a point ahead of Chelsea, is that right? Yeah, they've got a game in hand. And they've got a game in hand uh, with three points behind Spurs uh, because Spurs lost at the weekend, so it's super, super tight. The one thing I'd say is we had to play City and Chelsea. That Chelsea game could be a huge one. City, obviously huge, going to need to get something out of that. Some other tough games too. Arsenal don't play anyone in the top six. Um, so that might be decisive. The wheels are kind of falling off Spurs' season though, so maybe that's our route in. The, um, the, all the would-you-rathers, you know, City win the league, Liverpool win the Champions League, all, that, all those would-you-rathers. Surely, would you rather lose to City, 
I mean, sorry, would you rather beat City, get top four and Liverpool win the league or miss out on the top four, but City win the league instead of Liverpool? That's got to be the hardest would you rather of all time, uh, right? Well, I hate the debate about being in the top four because it feels so small time, yeah, doesn't it? it? Does, but... And it's the thing we used to make fun of Arsenal for. And, and really, it's mostly about money. Um, no, it's not course, anymore. Uh, not anymore. It's, it's about no- glory. It's about La Remontada. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, no, 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 I was going to come on to say that, you know, and, and like for the higher ups, it's about the money um, and the sponsorship and the TV. And it's, it's worth a huge amount of money, basically, being in or out. Uh, g- given given the, the way United's contracts are organised, it's like £100 million. Um, but after Wednesday night, those are the games we won. Yeah. Absolutely. Anyway, it's never a difficult question for me. If it's United winning stuff or other people losing stuff, it's always going to be about United winning stuff. I I know I just made up a Twitter question and then answered it, but still, there we go. (laughs) Very good. Uh, Trill Russell says, is uh, Ollie capable of enough goodwill and positive energy that he can reunite Alex and Alex Ferguson and Roy Keane? (laughs) Brackets. May and may not have just finished listening to Roy Keane versus. (laughs) I'm glad you listened to that. It was a brilliant show Neil put together and and I absolutely, I was so on, I was on two episodes. No one else got two episodes. I was, I was very honoured by that. We did a two parter on Alex Ferguson and Roy Keane's relationship. Um, Check that out at Roy Keane versus on all your good podcasting software. Um, but yeah, the I don't know whether he can reunite Kino, but Eric Cantona being at the Parc des Princes did not make it any less special. Let's say Fergie for, fists out Cantona, Fergie and Oli Solskjaer. Surely every United fan of our age's new favourite photo of all time. Oh, that's special. <laughs> there were some great photos actually from that night. The players celebrating. I mean, oh, God, the, yeah. the, the close-up uh, footage after Rashford scores and um, Tom and Asia going absolutely mental, yeah. and they're, they're all together with the young kids. Uh, some great photos and some great video footage of that. Yeah, um, uh, we learned a few things too. So we learned that. Um, uh, Scott McTominay does not know the words to the Arles at the Wheel song, but Ashley Young knows the words to every Man United song of all time. You know, he came back out after it was all finished, but the fans were still in. Ashley Young came back out on his own to go over and sing with the fans. He did. He did. I mean, yeah, captain's performance. A shout out as well to BT Sports' um, no filter seven minute thing that they put together. Yeah, um, it was very good. Absolutely fantastic tom tom pointing out in the whatsapp group this is what bt should be doing way way more of because their actual champions league coverage is not that great although the well it's not great when you've got michael owen like doing his absolute level best to hate on united (laughs) bt shouldn't be putting out that by sort of behind the scenes footage of (laughs) owen sitting there you know thinking about horses while he's got his arms crossed Uh, and owen hargreaves sort of politely clapping along yeah but Rio went sufficiently nuts for all of them combined didn't he oh well you know at least Gary Lineker was giving it some fist pumping <laughs> always knew he was a red yeah yeah secretly a uh, couple of couple of uh, questions along similar lines Usman says is Paul to blame for the Arsenal loss Alec Hudson uh, friend of the show I guess um, Paul should never have come back Paul ended the run it's Paul's fault <laughs> it's not I didn't do anything 
Frank Grotem says, is Paul's Twitter like a barbecue, as in you take it out and the sun begins to shine? <laughs> Listen, we've won a lot of games and I haven't come online. This was like, like it ne- this game nearly made Ed cry. That's how emotional and emotive this was. It was very special. I'll be back if we win the Champions League. Chris Moore says, uh, and this is to, to, very pointed, I think, from Chris Moore, is Paul a Twitter glory hunter? As I said, like, there's so many good things have happened at United since that happened. I didn't come when Solskjaer was appointed. Uh, we've won loads of games. I didn't come when Jesse Lingard was doing dance floors, did I? <laughs> Sounding a bit defensive here. Yeah. Brian McGivney says, are you surprised Real didn't, Real didn't appoint Paul? Ince. <laughs> uh, what is going on at Real Madrid, Ed? Well, it's bizarre because uh, it, it seemed for all the world a couple of days ago that Real were about to appoint Mourinho. Um, all, all the stories were saying he was on the cusp, and you know he's he's been making noises, hasn't he, about you know going back to a football club with a with a real structure to it. <laughs> Such an idiot. Um, and Zidane's people, it seemed, had been putting out stories saying there's absolutely no way he was interested in taking the job back and that he was gone for good. Uh, it was all a big ruse and uh, we suspect the hand of Mendez has been involved. What do you think? I just think it's so weird. Zam was like, nah, I'm out, son. I'm out. I've done it three in a row. Uh, can't, can't really carry on now. Bored. It's too easy, isn't it? And also, and also, we're selling Ronaldo, and that might turn out to be a bit of a problem. Um, and now he's back, and Mourinho isn't. I mean, I have to say, and imagine like they're just about to pull the trigger on Mourinho, and we're like, "Come on, should we just offer Zidane another fifty mil? See if he says yes. Just anything we could do to stop it being Jose Mourinho." Can you imagine? Um, I saw a quote that was like something uh, that Mourinho would be a shield against unhappiness. Or that Real Madrid needed a shield against unhappiness and then they were about to appoint Mourinho, a man who is a shield made out of unhappiness. (laughs) Oh, dear. Um, Yes, craziness at Real Madrid. I mean, they're trying to stop the rot. Obviously got smashed in the Champions League. Loads so far behind in La Liga. Um, Obviously no chance of winning it, uh, risking dropping out of the Champions League places. Um, yeah, complete disaster of a season. They're now on their well. If you count back to May, it's their yeah what third, fourth manager <laughs> Zidane, um, Lopetegui, Solari, Zidane again. That's your second really spectacular pronunciation of the day after oh, Kalasinac yeah, earlier. Oh, um, totally brutalised it. Yeah. Worth saying, talking pronunciation. Worth saying, uh, a fond pour one out for the homie for Louis van Gaal's army. Louis announcing his official retirement from football today, and we're going to do uh, bonus content about his entire managerial career um, this week for Patreon backers. Um, but yeah, we'll just be ca- passing the content back and forth and back and forth <laughs> and back and forth and winning the champions league with a bunch of teenagers in the 90s also yeah 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 um uh, yeah i did that too honest <laughs> once what was the best part of the week it says you ain't a crook son what was it winning against PSG? Martial screaming le character mm. arsenal calling their own sta- stadium the dance that floor that was funny 
yeah, President Nasser smashing the door, Evra rattling the whole of Paris and Cantona, <laughs> off Neymar's family. Manchester! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, he, yeah, he was all over the French press this week. Um, he really did rattle them. And uh, Cantona, uh, he loves it. I love it, he said. He looked um, so happy. Sticking his fingers up at uh, Neymar's family, yeah. Um, yeah, it's mad. Absolutely, just a crazy, crazy concatenation of circumstances. Um, Evra's kind of like four-page, absolute, resolute non-apology was brilliant. Yeah, it was great. Ballfan says, will the delayed decision of not sacking the one who shall not be named come and bite United in the ass? Um, it's an interesting narrative, you know, if he'd gone uh, a month earlier... Um, would would United's uh, return to form? Would Ali have been appointed a month earlier? Would United have been returned to form, you know, in early enough that now the Champions League places were definitely on? I mean, they're definitely on anyway, aren't they? I mean, the the thing that I would say is whatever happens from here on out, I can't really fault the timing, given that run of fixtures and everything that it established at the beginning, right at the beginning of Ole's reign. Um, So much was set in motion by the timing, even like the low point of losing to Liverpool being just about as bad as it could possibly get. Then you had those five massively winnable games in a row when he came in. So maybe we could say he should have been sacked a few games earlier. The one thing I would say is he should have been sacked in the summer, Um, but you know, second place in an FA Cup final the season before. We all know why he wasn't. Yeah, that's right. Um, Well, I I think it was, well, we've been over this so many times, but uh, yeah, he could have been sacked last summer uh, when uh, it was obvious he was going to burn everything to the ground. Anyway, let's end on this one. John Sherwin says, uh, and I think this is um, hmm, frightening, just how much money will Woodward pay for bail in the summer? That's surely that ship has sailed now. Although I guess you would have thought that about Alexis Sanchez, and uh... I, I hope he was joking. I think this is. I think this is not serious. Okay, not having a great time though, old Baylor, is he? No, no. I mean, injured again, getting booed by the um, the Madrid fans. I mean, apparently. I mean, and I guess this puts it into some perspective. His gross salary is six hundred and fifty thousand pounds a week. That's a. That's a. That is. That number is gross. Gross is the right word, isn't it? Yeah. Um, he will not be coming back to United for that. And I hope never, actually. I, I think uh, I, I do hope you're right. The ship has sailed. Although he's a year younger than Alexis, so anything's possible. Anyway, shall we move on? Oh, uh, sorry, I did that funny thing again there, Tom. Um, I uh, got to say... I've looked up a question from at bifurcated underscore MBM because I'm fed up of you not picking their questions every week, Ed. Um, I, I can't see it. No, yeah. it's, it's where, where, where? from days ago. And it says, because the PSG game was played over two legs, doesn't this mean that Ole is actually unbeaten as United manager? That's whose fault it is. That's whose fault it is. We love blaming me for signing up to Twitter when they're going around talking that big game. Those bifurcated boys can't trust them. All right. Very good. Let's move on. This game at the weekend, and, uh, and given that everyone has uh, been listening to this here podcast for what is about an hour and a half <laughs> at this point, uh, we should probably get to it. Um, all I know about Wolves, really, is that they're quite good. I, it occurred to me that I don't think I've seen them play 90 minutes once this season, except when they played us, 
and they were pretty good in that game. Um, was it a one-all draw? Feels like it was a one-all draw. Um, but this is going to be this. This is not a formality. This game by any stretch of the imagination, is it? FA Cup at the Molyneux on Saturday night. Yeah, definitely not. Uh, definitely not a, a foregone conclusion at all. Uh, we don't know who's going to be back for United and what kind of formation, um, what kind of system we're able to play given the injuries. Um, uh, there's a few players who might need a bit of a rest. We've been playing a lot of football with so many injuries. Uh, what's what's the fallout? I mean, I thought the emotional impact of the Paris game took quite a toll on some of the Arsenal on the Arsenal thing. And I don't think we should underestimate that. Is uh, is there a big impact on the first big loss domestically? Uh, we don't know that. Um, Wolves are good. They got a they got a draw with uh, Chelsea at the weekend. Deserved one, uh, I would say. Uh, Jimenez has scored quite a few goals this season. Um, tucks it away nicely. Uh, against Chelsea and they put up a very good performance. So, yeah, it all points to this being difficult. Yeah, um, I I would say that I'm actually expecting an extremely good response from United, mostly based on how spectacularly good our response to the first leg um, defeat against PSG was and actually also our response to the draw against Liverpool and, and even like being in difficult circumstances against Liverpool and being 2-0 down against Burnley. And and even you could say our kind of the amount of fight we had, even though we lost to Arsenal. So I'm not worried about United's performance level in general this game. I guess the starting eleven is probably going to be. I mean, the key is we missed Herrera so much against Arsenal. If I could have picked one player from the injured list to be to be in that game, it would have been him. I I would imagine that um, he will play. I don't know. It does. It guess a lot of it does re- really rest on Herrera yeah, being back I mean, or not, doesn't it? If, he, if he's fit or not, I mean, he was training this week, wasn't he? He was. They they kind of all are really, aren't they? And and Solskjaer definitely said like the one after after the international break, basically everyone's back who's currently injured. Assuming no fresh injuries, obviously. <laughs> Let's hope so. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, I'd definitely play Herrera if he's available. He won't be going off with Spain. He needs the minutes. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So, so does Matic, really, and a few of the players have been out for a few weeks. Um, you'd expect Martial to start. He's fit. Um, I wonder whether they, they'll make some changes. Delo could go back into the back four. Ashley Young could do with the rest. A lot of big, intense games recently. I think he's, you know, no spring chicken, is he? Um, be interesting to see what they do with the two centre halves. Is it Lindelof and Smalling, which is the one that's it's normal? Yeah, definitely. Uh, now, yeah, you'd expect so. I mean, if he goes with the four something for something something yeah yeah um for three three or a diamond um uh you know you said rashford looked leggy uh yeah maybe maybe martial comes in for rashford maybe they switch up the system yeah a lot of questions just just simply because it's the fa cup and it's the least of the priorities although uh, i do tend to agree with you that nothing is deprioritized for ollie right at this moment although of course ferguson deprioritized the fa cup quite a lot in his last sort of decade in charge. I mean, this is definitely our best chance of winning any silverware, though, isn't it? Which is which puts it in a slightly different position because the Champions League is a, a massive long shot, obviously. Fourth place, well, that fight's going down to the wire and I don't think it's... I don't think being in the FA Cup is going to have a negative bearing on that. Um, and we've seen we've got the squad, even with everyone half dead, we've got the squad to uh, compete on all fronts. Although I guess we, strictly speaking, did lose at the weekend, so that might have something to do with it. Um, yeah. I wonder if I wonder if 
um, it will start with a four, the formation. Because we know that Wolves, who've played a few different formations this season, but one thing we do know is they're definitely going to play for back three because whatever formation they played has been a variant on something with a back three. Yeah, always. They did at Chelsea. And, I mean, the interesting thing they did at Chelsea is they defended really well. I mean, they didn't create a lot, and it has been sometimes their problem this season. I mean, Jimenez scores goals, no one else does. Um, and, uh, and I mean, I guess, like, for they are the best of the rest at the moment, aren't they, the seventh? And they've had a very good season, and they've got some very, very good players, but if if there's one thing that feels like it's a failure, it's, it's the amount of goals they score. They didn't really look close to scoring against Chelsea, except for the one that they did actually score. Um and and it would be interesting to see how much they push forward against United. They obviously paid Chelsea a lot of respect um, for a team that's only one place above them. Um, and and so yeah, lots of questions. But yeah, definitely a back three for Wolves. Will Will Solskjaer match that up? Might might do, but doesn't have to. You know, of course, playing four three three is actually a very bold way of countering because you play two v two at the back, um, and then you try and get in behind their wing backs. Yeah. And and you could potentially dominate midfield, which is obviously an area which they're very strong, very good at ke- keeping possession. And United will definitely be looking to counterattack, I'm sure, rather than rather than necessarily dominate this game. Going to be incredible. Yeah, inc- I mean, I mean they, they they're not a bunch of battlers in midfield, but um, uh, really are they? I no, mean, they're they play, passers. Never, they're ball. They're pa- passers. Yeah, you know, Jean Martino, lovely passer the ball. Ruben Neves uh, in the Pirlo mould as a defensive midfielder, uh, and Dendonka, perhaps the sort of more all rounder of those those three, uh, but a very good Belgian player as well. Yeah, um, it's it's going to be an incredible, incredible, incredible atmosphere. That's for sure. Um, so, so when does it take place at the weekend or Friday night? Saturday night. Friday? Saturday night. Saturday night. Yeah, Saturday. So, so Saturday night. Um, obviously within fairly easy striking distance of Manchester. Uh, there's going to be a massive allocation. 15,000 applications for tickets. Oh, um, oh surely there's got to be a spare or two in that one. I mean, surely. <laughs> and someone pointed out to me there's a, there's European aways to pay for now. So maybe there'll be a few tickets going. I'm definitely going to be in and around uh, the stadium because I'm going to go and do stuff with full-time devils because it's because I only live around the corner. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go and watch the game with United fans who haven't got tickets or miraculously get a ticket between now and then. Uh, either way works for me. Great stuff. So back yeah, to- I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. I mean, there's been, you know, the, the big games are coming really thick and fast, aren't they? Yeah. Um, but this, this should be another cracker. Yeah, absolutely. Um, then after that, uh, we've got an international break the following week and then we play Watford at home City uh, oh is it Watford at home yeah Wat- oh, I thought it was City no it's Watford at home first then Wolves away uh, then West Ham then Everton uh, and then City has been moved to the 24th ah okay yeah 24th of April so it's a good while till we play oh City. because it clashes with the yeah yeah okay yeah of course it clashes with the cup game yeah, yeah. exactly so um so I guess we might take a week off, Ed, given that it's international break, um, and come back and do a podcast. Nah, we should do one after Wolves, shouldn't we? And have a we'll do one after um, Wolves. and have a, we'll have a break after the week after that, probably, and come back after Watford. So yeah, that's well, how we're uh, gonna do it. Yeah, that that seems fair enough. We don't want to be talking about international football. International football is rubbish. I got my dates uh, all confused. Uh, no, we're definitely doing a podcast next week, hundred percent. Very good. All right. 
Thank you very much for listening, everyone. Back and stay tuned for Louis Van Hard chat. Everyone else, um, hope you enjoyed the show. I hope no one's too de- downhearted about the Arsenal game. And uh, come on, you Reds. We've got to predict scores. I'm going for a massive 2 0 win at Wolverhampton to United. Oh, oh, I'm going to go for 3 2 to United. Oh, lovely scenes. Cup, cup cracker. All right, cool. Um, and we'll see everyone next week. All right, bye now. As always, the Rankcast is brought to you by the good people who choose to back us at patreon.com slash rankcast. Um, There are various different tiers of rewards, uh, and if you choose to back us at $5 a month plus VAT, then every week you get a little bit of bonus content. And this week, in honour of the great man's retirement, we had a look back at Louis van Gaal's managerial career. Another person that hated Lou Van Hal was the manager who was unfortunate <laughs> enough to be the manager when... Uh, no, no, not, a good, uh, not good chemistry there where the club legend and the manager both hate you, yeah. <laughs> uh, Ronald Koeman um, claimed that Van Hal would bring a chair to pitch side for training and shout instructions. <laughs> Um, this ended with Louis van Gaal buying the plot next to Ronald Koeman's house in <laughs> Portugal to build a bigger house than him. This man, there is not a pettier man in the history of football. Well, he could have bought the uh, you know the plot next to Ronald Koeman's grave or something like that. <laughs> he probably has. Let's face it, he probably has. To block his view, that's, what, that's what's probably done. Um,